Welcome. Glad you're here this morning. A number of different ways meeting during this pandemic and this quarantine. Uh, we're learning as we go. One of the things we would like to see as we move in now to to the fall, and uh, even though it doesn't feel much like fall right now, is finding ways to meet in smaller groups that is appropriate, that is safe, that stays within the guidelines. Uh, so that's what we're trying this morning. Our, uh, some of us are gathered. We're all socially distanced. We're all practicing uh, safe distancing according to the guidelines. Um, but meeting together in a group, singing with other people, worshiping. You know, we all need it. We all need it. And if we can have it, I, I understand there's some people that are, that are, you know, it's just not an option for We're encouraging people to, to gather in those small groups, maybe it's your bubble that you're going to do school with or people that you work or live with, but gather those people around and participate as a group as we meet. And we'll be talking more about that as we go. Uh, I want to encourage you to make comments on this, uh, start a discussion as we go. Uh, Tim Holland is monitoring this morning for us, and he'll be posting along the way with some things. So, so it was the first Christmas um, after we lost Olivia. And our family was huddled up with our oldest daughter, Hope, in Norway, where she was living at the time. Uh, we have been graciously offered this cabin up in the remote wilds of Norway. And since Hope was living there, we wanted to just get a place alone with our grief. And we felt lost. We felt disconnected. We were hurt beyond the ability to be hurt. And so we enter into this cabin 12 hours north of the Arctic Circle, as far away from home probably as you can get, far away from Arkansas. And I'm rummaging around after hours of travel to try to find something to eat, and I open the cabinet door, and there is a bottle of Rudy's barbecue sauce from Texas in this cabinet, in this cabin in Norway. The barbecue sauce one of my favorite barbecue places that our family eats up that far away. Well, I, I don't know, but it was for us a precious taste of home. And it was a reminder of belongings. Now, you can interpret this any way you want, but I interpreted it as God saying, I see you. I'm with you. I haven't forgotten you. And you belong. You're mine. All that bottle barbecue sauce. And you see, this sense of belonging provides what no words can. Everything starts with a sense of belonging. And without it, we're all lost. It's key to the gospel proclamation of the kingdom of God among us. And it's key to our ethos as Grace Church, which we're going to talk about today. So pray with me as we start. And just take a moment and breathe. God, sometimes it feels like all we hear are stories of pain and trauma 
of fighting and discord, stories of disasters and destruction. Ah, but we could use some good news. Grace Church, this morning may we give God the chance to be present here with us. May we let God be in our hurts, our pains, our mistakes, and our wrongs, our fears and frustrations. And may God give the opportunity, and may we give God the opportunity to rewrite these stories into more beautiful ones. Beautiful, good, and true. We pray this in the name of God, our loving creator, Jesus, our friend and savior, and the Holy Spirit, deliver us peace. Well, this morning I want to offer one historical framework, three points of scriptural reference, a practical application, and then end up with a story. All right, so is everybody on board with that? So first, the scriptural references. So we're talking about belonging. Our ethos is belong, become, believe. We're going to talk about that the next three Sundays, starting with belong this Sunday. So what, what do we do a lot? We see it, for example, in 1 Corinthians 12, where it says, just as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so too is Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all made to drink of the one spirit. So being part of the body of Christ is is rooted in this belonging. It's rooted in this oneness. When you are baptized, when you are welcomed into, when you become part of this body, you are you belong. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Greek or slave or free. It doesn't matter if you're man or woman or whatever your situation. You are part of that body. You belong to it, and it belongs to you. And Jesus prayed this. He prayed that we would know this in the depths of our heart. In John, John 15, starting in verse 9, he said this. He said, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love or belong in my love. If you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed the Father's commandments, you remain in his love. I have told you these things so my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. And my commandment is this, to love one another just as you have been loved. That essence in that belonging, that love, that commandment to love is this idea of being united, being one, being brought together. Lastly, we see this, and we see it in many places, but just for this morning, these three references. I'm taken again by Mary's song in Luke 1, where the basic intent of the, what we call the Magnificat, or Mary's song, when she learns that she's going to be pregnant with the Messiah, that she is pregnant with the Messiah, is that all those who have been outcast are now brought in. All those who have been disregarded are now regarded. All those who have been disqualified are now qualified. It is this gathering in of people to the world, to the religious system, to politics, whatever, have been told, you're not welcome. You don't belong. And the promise of the Messiah is no more. You belong with that. So we see all through Scripture 
this idea that it starts with belonging. It starts with the proclamation of welcome. It starts with the proclamation of acceptance. Now, there's other things that we'll, we'll see in the coming next week, but it starts with that. There are no pre-qualifications. All of those have been done away with. All of the exclusions, all of the barriers have been done away with. Henry Nowen said this, play a book not of information, but of formation. Not merely a book to be analyzed, scrutinized, and discussed, but a sacred book to nurture us to unify our heart and our mind and to contemplation. Look, you grew up like I did in the, the fundamentalist evangelical circles. The Bible was often used as a way of cutting people out, of disqualifying them. Or just a book of information to be used in a in a way to get ahead or to or to provide for your own comfort. That's not it. The sacred text we have is going to form us into community, and that starts with belonging. If I could make one, if I could make one, if, I, if, if God said, okay, John, you get one, by divine fiat, you get to do this one thing. I think I would change, in every English translation of the Bible, I would change the plural personal pronoun, you, when referring to a group, to y'all. <laughs> Come on. Can I get amen. an amen? Amen, amen. Pastor John. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> it's much more biblically correct to the Greek to say y'all because this isn't about you. It's about us. And when it becomes safe, the you can be now, if you want to, I know you can't change every translation, but y'all go ahead and just mark that out in your Bible. Just write y'all everywhere it's you. Because it's about us. Now to the historical framework. So traditionally, the formation is 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 Henri Nouwen referred there, the Bible's about formation, the church was about formation. And that formation followed a pattern that we're talking about today of belong. You were born into the church, you were brought into it. You, you were assumed to be part of the family from the start. And then you were taught how to behave as a result of that. You're, you became, you grew into that identity. And then through that process, the hope was that you would come to believe in it, that it would make, it would start to make sense to you, spiritual, logical, mystical sense to you. Starting with the Re Reformation, though, and then really accentuated by Enlightenment thinking, that formula became reversed. And it became reversed to the way that many of us have grown up in the church in America, which is believe first, then become, and then you'll belong. And now look, neither one of these models is perfect, and neither one works in a linear form. They, they all work in a circle, ultimately, self-referential. But when we start with the idea that you have to believe something and then you have to behave or become in a certain way along with that, in order to belong, the whole process becomes transactional. And that is antithetical to the gospel message. If 
anything the Reformation taught us is that the good news frees us from the needs to do works to earn our place as a people. That was the that was the message of the reformers. Yet it has been twisted over the years to now where we live in a society and a context where religion is all about becoming or behaving, and you're in and you're or you're out based on how you believe and and behave. And so we see a generation that is that is rejected the church, and in some ways, rightfully so, because they feel like they can never measure up. They feel like they can never behave well enough. They feel like if, if their doctrine isn't perfect, they cannot have fellowship with other Christians. And so we've seen this shattering of the church, thousands of denominations, animosity between people who call the name of Christ, because we've gotten this pattern wrong. It's gone toxic in the other direction. The historian and theologian David Bentley Hart wrote this. He said, Christianity entered human history not as a new creed or a system of religious observance, but as an apocalypse, the sudden unveiling of a mysterious God before the foundation of the world. And that's what that's what belonging does. It's an apocalypse. It's an unveiling. It's, it's an affirmation that where you are, who you are, you belong to God, and God loves you. And everything stems from that. It has to start, start with having to perform first, and then God will help. That is just the religion of the world. That is, that's the system of every other religion at work. You can call it Christian, or you can call it Muslim, or you can call it Buddhism, or you can call it secular humanism to be a, a, a great guy. But it's all the same. It's all based on. Christianity is based on belonging. So that's the scripture and the historical conflict context. But now for the warning. I mean, I hope as you're listening to this, this brings joy to your heart. I hope as you're listening to this, this brings hope to your soul. But we also know that there's something within us that sabotages that. What is it that sabotages that system belonging? What is it that drives the religious industrial con complex that's built on believe first, then behave, then you'll belong. Well, change. We're all doused in it in our society. Doused in shame. We're like, how can anyone love me if they only knew what it was what was in my heart? If they only knew who I truly was, they would reject me. And so shame keeps us away. And in the same way, self-righteousness, the idea that, hey, I don't I don't need you to extend that grace to me. I'll earn it. I'm good enough. I, or at least if I'm not good enough, I'm better than that guy. I'm better than that person. And so the constant want to earn our place and the desire that we can earn our place, given the right circumstances, the right help that we could earn our place. Self-righteousness, pride sabotage that as well. And that goes along with this idea of accepting unmerited grace. None of us want to have to need grace. None of us want to be needy and welcomed in in spite of ourselves. There's nothing more offensive to 
the American ideal of pull yourself up by your bootstraps and earn your way to this idea of unmerited grace. So it's actually the very concept of belonging in some ways that sabotages our this idea of exceptionalism. Again, that we somehow, yeah, we're already in, but other people need to work harder. Well, that sabotages our own place as well. Biggest ones, especially people who have encountered significant trauma in their life, is that fear of rejection. That fear that, okay, I want that, I need that, I desperately long for it, but if I, if I put myself out there, if I make myself vulnerable, and then I'm rejected. But that pain is just too much. I can't, I can't risk it. And that sabotages the long. Well, one of the things that we're gonna do as we as we start into this new season, instead of just hearing this, instead of just getting more information, is we really wanna act on it. We really wanna do something with it. So what I wanna ask you to do right now is I want you to think of someone. I want you to think of someone you're connected to, maybe a family member. And I either want you to take your phone out right now and text them. I am going to just tell this person that I love them or that I like them or that I appreciate their friendship. Countering the sabotaging of our own belonging is to extend that belonging to others. As part of your worship today, to think about who am I going to reach out to? Who am I going to extend the hand that belongs in any kind of manipulative way? This is not any way to get them to see how righteous you are. It is merely to extend to them, extend to that other person what has been extended. You can write them a note, you can text them, you can give them a call. But as part of your worship day, I'll wrap it up with this. Look, if those of you who know Jane and I, Heard our story. You know, we've, we've been in communities where where it wasn't like or believing a certain doctrine or acting a certain way. And those those instances have been incredibly painful. But in a weird way, they go to prove how simple. Because without those things, we see the desolation that is there. But while our years of grace have been tumultuous at times, they've also been some of the most precious years of our life. The way that this church has enveloped us in our times of deepest grief, and also walking with us as our as our theology and our and our beliefs develop. Well, this is where this takes place. It takes place in community. Christianity is not a lone range religion. It is not a solo experience. It is a it is a group project. It cannot be done alone. Um, we're seeing some of this in the Arab. If you're not part of that thing that we're doing, um, contact us. We can there's still time to get in. But I want to encourage you to do this together. Start with knowing your belonging, your belovedness, your acceptance, and your affirmation. And you will see that that changes everything. So, Bailey, if you want to 
come up and pray. We're going to take communion. ask you to gather your elements. Maybe there's no place more that it exemplifies more of that, especially in Middle Eastern culture where Jesus gave us this practice. So when you take communion, it is evidence of your belonging. It is evidence of your welcome. It is evidence of your acceptance. So as you take if you take the bread as you hold it in your hand, I want you to see this as the invitation to belong. When you see the brokenness, that is the price. That's the evidence of it. That there's nothing that we withhold. Jesus gave everything. He didn't withhold anything. He gave his body that we would belong. Likewise, when you hold the cup, understand that if this is his blood, it's poured out. It's, it's evident. Faith that will separate you. Okay? Drink in that mouth. Also, during this time, I want to ask you to reflect. Consider what the Lord is Consider what you need to do in response to it. And then also, care in the offering. We give our offerings of signs that none of us is without you. None of us has nothing to give. We all have something to give. Do these things and work with them. Thank you for being with us.